Amen. You may be seated. If you're having a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Many of you know that we skipped over that as we were making our way through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we skipped it because today's Valentine's Day. Now, if you realize for the first time that today is Valentine's Day, when Jonathan stood up here and said that, you're already in trouble. I'm just going to tell you. Now, let me say this. I might be able to help one couple out with that, though. Uh, And so what I want to do is anyone who's been married um, 35 years or longer, would you stand if you can? I know it's been hard on you, but wow, 35 years or longer. Let's give them a round of applause. That's a long time. Very good. Okay, you can be seated now. Uh, Is there anybody... Just raise your hand. I won't have you go up and down. Anybody been married 45 years or longer? Raise your hand. Wow. (laughs) Okay, maybe I should have started there, all right? Uh, How about 50 years or longer? Oh, my goodness. This has got to be a record or something. I don't know. Okay, let's go for 55. 55 years or longer. Great day. Wow. Maynard, how old are you? So, anyway. (laughs) okay uh 58 wow look here there's about three good thing how old are y'all people okay um 60 years or longer really okay all right i should have known okay um let me think let me think 60 what comes after 62 we'll go 62 still in there 65 Okay, well, we got to make this work. 64? How about 63? 64, Gus and Betty? 64. Can anybody beat 64? Okay, that's pretty cool. Let's give them a round of applause this morning. 64 years. Now, let me say this. I've got a, a gift card for you guys uh, to Ruby Tuesdays. And uh, so I'll give that to you at the end, but we're so grateful for your 64 years and all the others of you. Great day. That's great. Uh, Did you see all those 45s? That's amazing to me. Anyway, I wasn't prepared for that. Okay. All right. Today, we're uh, continuing the series, In Him, For Him. And today, we're looking at the whole idea of becoming one, becoming one. Now, Now, think of this. Do you remember the day of your wedding? Okay, think back. For some of you, it was down in Gaffney in a courtroom. I've talked to some of you. Uh, For some of you, it was at a wedding altar in a church, whatever it may be. But do you remember the nerves, the anticipation, the excitement? How many of you on that special day, as you stood there saying your I do's, thought to yourself, I can't wait to get married so I can be miserable? No, you didn't go into it thinking that way. But let me ask you a simple question. How many of you have been miserable at certain times in your marriage? Okay, yeah, that, yeah well, I got you in trouble again, didn't I? Anyway, so, so here it is. We don't enter into marriage we, that way. We enter with dreams and hopes and the idea that this person will somehow complete us. So why is it that almost over 50% of all marriages end in divorce? You ever thought about that? Why is it that with all those hopes, with all those dreams, with all the anticipation, how does it turn into that? Think about it. Something that starts out to be so promising turns into something that can be harsh and even cruel. The real question is what happens between I do and shattered dreams? I, I believe marriages fail for several reasons. And the one that I'm going to list at the end is the main reason. But, but here's the reasons I believe marriage, marriages fail. When communication breaks down. When, when a couple comes and tells me that they're having issues in their marriage and that they tend to argue all the time, I, I tend to tell them, you're probably okay. <laughs> because you're communicating. Arguing is a good thing. It, it's communication. But when all that stops, the marriage will eventually stop. I believe marriages fail when forgiveness is not granted. How many of us have needed forgiveness in our marriages? Every one of us. But if there's one spouse that's holding out that says, absolutely not, you did it, listen, that marriage is doomed. How about when expectations are not met? That can hurt a marriage. How about when expectations are unrealistic? That can also affect a marriage. 
But I believe marriages fail mainly when the couple wanders off the path God intended marriage to look like or to be. And so this morning, if you look at the introduction on your outline, God who created marriage has a wonderful and fulfilling plan for marriage. Yet most marriages do not reflect God's wishes. Now, what does it take to make a marriage work? I mean, think about that. Some of you have a lot of experience in it. I saw the hands go up. But what does it take to make it work? Here, excuse me, here in Ephesians 5, Paul is making a parallel between Christ and his church and a man and his wife. Paul is saying that the relationship between a man and his wife should reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. However, many times this is not the case in many homes. Now think of this. Suppose Christ acted toward the church as you husbands act toward your wives. Or suppose the church acted toward, the, toward Christ as you wives act towards your husbands. Now when you think about that, you need to realize that, that God's intentions for your marriage is for it to look like the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, when we read this and what we're going to do today, it's going to be quite intimidating to see the love that Christ has for the church. And, and for us as husbands, we're going to sit there and we're going to say, wow, the stakes are pretty high, aren't they? They really are. So look on your outline. God's plan for marriage. The two becoming one, first of all, through their roles. Whether we like it or not, or whether our society likes it or not, God created things with order and with roles. And marriage is no exception. Look on your outline. The first thing through the roles is wives submitting. Wives submitting. Now, this is never a fun thing for pastors to preach on uh, because a lot of people get offended. They look at it from a a, a modern view of what they think submission is, and they look at it, and they think, oh, man, that's so old. But really, when you think about it, it's still in God's Word, isn't it? It's a command. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now think about that. It doesn't just say, wives, submit to your own husbands. It says what? As to the Lord. Now now that's pretty big. That's That's a big deal. Just as you submit to Christ, submit to your husband. Now this does not mean, as I've said before, that the husband is a dictator and the wife is a doormat. That's not what is being demonstrated here. A husband is not to treat his wife as a servant. Submission, however, is is these things. Affirming your husband's calling of leadership. Uh, Placing yourself under your husband's leadership. uh, Volunteering to submit. Allowing your husband to lead. And then here's one that many of you may not have ever thought of. It is also realizing that your husband will be accountable before God for how he leads your home. And and, and think about that. Think about the pressure that's in that position as a husband. Uh, And so, wives, when we look at this whole picture of what it looks like, first of all, the thing we need to understand is that this is a command. Submit to your own husbands. But second of all, and this is what makes it easier, is the idea of husbands serving. Husbands serving. Look at Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And now this is tough when you read this. And again, what are we doing? What's the comparison? The comparison is the relationship between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. That should be reflected. It should be a a testimony that is seen through our marriages. So let's look at it from, I believe, a clearer picture. Look here on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Husbands likewise. Now, now the whole idea of husbands, if you look at that first phrase, husbands, the word husband there, and I've told you this before, literally means gardener, gardener. That's what a husband is to be, literally a gardener to his family. Now, think about what a gardener does. 
A gardener goes in, he, 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 he looks at what's, what's planted, he, 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 he takes care of it, uh, he nourishes it, he, he, he gives it everything that it needs to, to survive, that it may produce fruit. And so the husband seems to have that role. Now, here's what you need to understand when it comes to the whole idea of leadership in Scripture. A biblical principle is this, and Jesus taught us this. The leader is the greater servant. The leader is the greater servant. How many of you have seen that all through Scripture? It is. Now, think about the way Jesus led. Think about when he showed up here on earth and, and how he confronted those things that were wrong, but the things that were there, the, he, he, he continually told his disciples that, that, the, that the leader is the greater of the servant. Think about when he washed the feet of the, the, the disciples. He was demonstrating that. And so when we look at this whole idea of wives submitting, we also must bring into the equations husbands who serve. He says this, husbands likewise dwell with your wife. Now, when it says dwell, it literally means it has that whole picture of feel at home with your wife. Now, don't raise your hands. You'll get in a lot of trouble with this one. But how many of you uh, have been married for a long time and you've had some seasons where you didn't feel at home with your wife or you didn't feel at home with your husband? It was almost, almost like at times you were strangers. At times it wasn't, it definitely didn't reflect what you see in Scripture. But, but the thing is, it's the whole idea. When it says dwell, it, it's talking about intimacy in all areas of marriage. It's the whole idea of feeling at home with one another. Tina and I were talking not long ago, and uh, we were talking about our marriage and, and, and some things, and, and, and what was interesting is, how many of you have noticed you've been married long enough to see that there's a lot of your marriage that is kind of seasonal? And your relationship through your marriage, some of the dynamics change. Have you seen that? And we were talking about the other day about our, our routines and how our marriage has become what it is. And, and, and we, we're, we've been married almost 35 years, but it's almost like we're starting to really feel comfortable with each other. After almost 35 years of marriage. How many of you remember that feeling? It's like, didn't you start feeling comfortable with one another? You know, it, it takes on so much like that. Is, and it be, it's, it's like it develops. It becomes something. It grows. That's a good sign. He says, husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife with understanding. The word understand literally means to know, to learn. It's not just knowing something. It's, it's the whole idea of learning. I mean, it's an action to perceive, to recognize. Some of the recognition that we need to have with our wives is our wives are not like us. How many of you have noticed that as men? They don't come at things the way we do. Uh, some of it is because of personality differences. Some of it's because male and female differences. You have all these things. But just, so, so here's the idea. What keeps couples from desiring to understand one another? When you, don't, when you seek not to understand your wives, or you wives do not seek to understand your husbands, your marriage is in trouble. And the main reason we don't want to do that, for some of us, it's just ignorance. For some of us, it's unforgiveness. We just don't want to go there. And for many of us, it's self-centeredness. Just being self-centered. She needs to figure me out. It goes on and says, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, this does not mean that she's weak in any area. It literally means it's the whole idea of being delicate. She's delicate. Now, let me just say this. I've seen some women who could whip me. I'm serious. I mean, they could. I, I've seen it. I'm convinced they could. But there's a tendency when you look at the whole idea of men and women, it's a whole idea that she's more delicate. And, and if you really talk to women and hear what they're saying and the whole idea of what their needs are, you hear that many women are very comfortable with that that they are. It doesn't mean they're weaker when it comes to the mind and emotional and all those other things. It's, it's the whole idea of delicacy. So giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So men, here's what God is telling us. God is telling us, guys, wake up. You're the greater servant. You're one who needs to dwell with your wife. It talks about every area of intimacy. 
It's that whole idea of with understanding, you need to seek to understand them, what's behind what they do, what's behind what they say. And how many of you found that to be a challenge? But you do that. And he says, the reason you do that is you don't want your spiritual life to suffer. Because when your relationship with, with God is not right, your relationship with your wife ain't going to be right. And if your relationship with the one that God's called you to be one with is not right, you're not going to be right with him. Wow. When you think about it, that's a tough one. Here, here's, a, here's another one. Becoming one through their love. Paul in this text is going to give us four pictures of love that should be demonstrated in marriage. Now, the first one we see there is sacrificing love, or some would say a sacrificial love. In Ephesians 5, verse 25 says this, Husbands, this is tough when you think about it, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, Jesus' kind of love is a love that gives beyond the world's love. Now, when you think about the world's love and the conditions that we see there, many times the world's love is built on conditions. As long as these things are in place, as long as it looks like this, as long as it looks like that, as long as you're doing this for me and I can reciprocate because you're doing this for me. No, that's not the picture of love that we see. The picture of love that we see, listen, that should first be demonstrated by the husbands first, that should be demonstrated, is a whole idea of sacrificial love. Jesus gave the ultimate, his life, to prove his love to us, to prove his love for the church. Husbands should do no less. We should die to self when it comes to our wives. Now, let me just say this. This is very difficult, isn't it? It is, to get self out of the way that we can fulfill what God's word says. Yesterday, I was working on some finishing touches of the sermon, and Tina was in the other room, and I went in there, and I said, honey, I just need to go ahead and apologize for what I'm going to share tomorrow. (laughs) Not that I'm going to put you in a bad light, but this is very convicting. I don't know that I fulfill all the things that I'm going to be teaching tomorrow. And that's hard. But, but that's what we're seeing. Most of what Jesus commanded in Scripture requires us to crucify ourselves. Do you realize that? Matter of fact, Jesus basically said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to crucify yourself. Literally, the whole idea is to put yourself to death, to, to, to remove the selfishness that's within you. The same thing applies here in this verse is what he's saying. He's basically saying to love your wife in the way that you need to love your wife, you've got to crucify the flesh. You've got to crucify yourself. It's difficult. Here's another love. Second picture, purifying love. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read verse 25 again to set this up. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now think about what that's saying. Again, you got the parallel between Christ and the church uh, and then the parallel with the husband and wife. Divine love, listen, does not simply mean we condemn wrong in those we love but seek to cleanse them from it. It's the whole idea of not holding their sin over them. But you know something? Many times I talk with people who are in marriages, and the thing that comes out is that sin that was done back there that's still being held over the other. Y'all, that's not a picture of what purifying love is. Purifying love is literally one who is willing to grant, grant forgiveness in such a way that the person no longer has to live under the guilt and the shame of that particular sin. It's the, it's the whole idea of helping them become uh, forgiven in the eyes of the other and, and the fact that, that Christ did that on our behalf, that he reached out to us. We're to reach out to one another, especially the husband, and not hold those things against our wives, but to help them as they work through the issues of their life. The husband will seek to protect her from the world's uh, contamination and protect her holiness and purity in every way. A third picture is caring love. Ephesians 5 verse 28 says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This is a picture here of intimacy in giving what is needed. And that's what's happening here. Jesus gave what was needed for the church to to be what it needed to be, especially in the relationship between him and the church. He provided a sacrifice. He provided a way of purification. But not only that, he provided a way of caring for the church. And that's a picture of what husbands are to do. When the wife needs strength, the husband strengthens her. When the wife needs encouragement, the wife, the husband encourages her. To nourish a wife, listen, is to meet her needs, to give that which she needs for her growth and maturity. To cherish her is to treat her with tenderness and caring affection. Now, isn't it amazing how Paul started this whole conversation with wives submitting? And then he goes on and he says, listen, husbands, you need to understand you're the greater servant. You need to understand that a lot of, a lot of what's going to happen for all this to be carried out is going to start with you. Pretty, uh, pretty intense when you think about it. Here's a fourth picture, enduring love. Ephesians 5 says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the the two shall become one flesh. Of course, this is repeated from from Genesis. When when God himself did the first wedding ceremony. (laughs) That's basically what was said there. And so the two became one. And the whole idea, there's three parts of this. This is not on your outline. I just want to give you some ideas. The word leave there means uh, apart from your relationship with Christ, there's only one permanent relationship for you here on earth. And that's a relationship between a husband and a wife. When it comes to raising our children, and many of you have already done this, we are raising our children, understand this, we're raising them to leave. You do know that, right? We're trying to instill in them the responsibility and everything that it takes for them to leave. Now, I'm not saying when they get to an age where you think they can take care of themselves, you, put, you pack the bags and put it on the porch and say, we'll, we'll catch you later. I'm talking about the process of helping them to leave. Now, here's what you need to understand. With that, in, with that being the mindset, here's what happens to many couples. They, they, they invest and divest themselves in their children so much to the point that their, their, their lives revolve around the children in a way that is unhealthy. You're raising them to leave. So therefore, the permanence of the relationships that's in the home, it really rests between the husband and the wife. And so here's what happens. When they invest and divest themselves into their children and the, the children are the center of their world, all of a sudden the children move out Guess what you're left with? Two people that didn't really invest in their own relationship. And I've heard it said, and this is when this is the reason you're hearing some marriages breaking up after 25, 28 years is because they raised their children and now they don't know what to do with the family dynamic because they didn't make the investments between the husband and the wife. It's an enduring love. It's a whole idea of leaving. It's a whole idea of cleaving. Modern translation of this word is to to weld or to glue together. It means that Tina is stuck with me whether she likes it or not. Same thing could be said about you too, by the way. You know what it also means? It means there's never been a divorce in which all those involved have not been torn or hurt. That's what it also means. Then you got the whole idea of becoming one. I want to illustrate this. This here is Tom. If you ever met Tom, many of you probably haven't never met Tom, but this is Tom. And Tom is basically going to come to a wedding altar. And Tom has his own issues. He's gone through some tough times. Maybe his parents divorced. And so there's some little tears in his life. Maybe he didn't make all the right choices when he was a young man and going through college, and and all of a sudden there's some wrinkles there that have happened in his life. And and I mean, he's definitely not a a complete man. He's definitely not a perfect man. He's he's got issues that need to be dealt with. And then coming to the marriage altar also is Sue. 
Now, now Sue is, is a young lady, and she's had issues. She's, she's had a, a pretty dark past herself, and, and she didn't make all the right choices, and so she has some areas in her life that are bent and turned and, and turned on each other and things that are torn in her life. I mean, her, her dad hurt her real bad when she was younger. She ba- he basically walked away from the family. She's dealing with all that, and it hurts, and she's, she's just having a hard time dealing with it, and, and she really had a hard time even coming to the weld, wel, wel, welding altar, wedding altar. That's true, too, welding altar. Anyway, she, she really had a hard time with that because she wasn't so sure that it would last. I mean, her parents' marriage didn't last. Why should hers? So she's dealing with all these different things. So here's what happens on their wedding day. They both say their I do's. They commit themselves to one another in the sight of God. The Bible takes that very seriously. You do know that, right? Leave to cleave and to become one. Did you know there's a spiritual context to all that talk? It's not just physically leaving your parents and starting a life together and standing in front of a wedding altar and and coming together. There's a spiritual context to that. And here's what happens. They start off with with the I do's. They have the anticipation of the dreams that they hope to have together, fulfill all the goals that they have. And this person, you complete me. Honey, you complete me too. All that's happening there. And then years later, all of a sudden, the marriage is in trouble. Some some of their individual issues begin to come up. Some of the issues that they have with each other begins to come up on top of that. Never really worked through those issues. Never made investments like going to a marriage retreat like we're going to offer in a couple weeks. Never never sat under preaching that talked about what is God's biblical plan for marriage. And and they just and all of a sudden it starts they start becoming torn apart. This was supposed to tear worse, but anyway. And all of a sudden, you have all these jagged pieces. Divorce has taken place. And by the way, everyone involved in divorce, they're all victims. There may be one that initiated a large portion of it, but they don't come across, they don't leave scot-free. There's all kinds of issues that go with that. And that's what happens to many. You see, there's a permanency to what God is calling for in marriage. And the reason that permanency is not there is because people choose not to do it God's way. And what's really interesting about that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when you look at these four pictures of love, here's what it really looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This kind of love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then you know what Paul says at the end of all that talk? Love never fails. When love is lived out, like he just mentioned, it won't fail. And so when we're looking at pictures of love in Scripture and we see the four that we looked at today and then we combine it with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we say, okay, how do we make this work? Literally, you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says? We got to crucify ourselves. We got to get ourselves out of the way. Y'all, the greatest act of selfless love was when Jesus hung on a cross. But for us it becomes not only in a relationship living for him that's selfless because we're crucifying ourselves to do what he calls us to do, but also that we're doing it for one another in this relationship that God's called us to be one in. It must take place. Here's, here's another thought. Becoming one through their needs. And I'm going to quickly go through these. The cracks in marriage begin here most of the time. And here's what it looks like. He doesn't meet my needs, so why should I meet his needs? She doesn't meet my needs, so why should I meet her needs? So look at Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 32. He basically says, he's going to kind of put it all together. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's basically reminding us, hey guys, let me just tell you that whole idea between husband and wife, these look like Christ in the church. He's reminding us of that. And then he launches out into verse 33 and he says, nevertheless, he's, he's basically saying, you hear all these things? Nevertheless, let me show you practically what this looks like. 
And here's what he says. Let each one of you, this is, he's speaking to the husband still. Let each one of you in particular, that means you pay close attention to this. You, you get this in particular. So love his wife as himself. The word love there is the idea of being cherished. That that wife feels like she's cherished. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. There are commands here in verse 33. These are not suggestions. These are not, it sure would be cool if you do this. It would be a lot easier in your marriage if you would just do this. God's commands, listen, I've told you this a million times, are there to protect us and to provide for us. And when we keep even these commands, that's exactly what will happen. And that's what you'll see. So the key to having your own needs met is to attempt to meet the needs of your spouse. So let's look at her needs. I got this from a book by Harley. and It's His Needs, Her Needs. It's a great book. If you've never read it, you need to read it. But here it is. Her needs to have a spiritual leader. This is her needs. Now, if you were to go up to most women on the street, and say, what do you think your greatest need is in marriage that you need your husband to meet? A lot of them would overlook this whole idea of a spiritual leader. Many of them would. Let me tell you where it shows up. When a woman has a spiritual leader in her life and it's taken away, she realizes how much she needs that. But a lot of women just never had that. And so what happens is they're not even aware that that's a need in their life. But when they've had it and it's gone, they will tell you, some of you are sitting here and you know what I'm talking about, I need him to be a spiritual leader. But that is a need. He is a man of courage, conviction, commitment, compassion, and character. He creates an environment which his family uh, and wife can grow spiritually. He's a student of God's word. He lives at home what he appears to be in public. And here's what we need to understand. When it comes especially to what God's called our wives to do, our wives need to know we are being led by something greater than ourselves. When they know that we're following the hand of God or attempting to do that, it sure makes the whole idea of submitting a lot easier. Here's another one. Her need to be cherished. Ephesians 5, 33 is what it's talking about. Ladies, I guarantee you, this is it. This is, you just want to be cherished. He, he majors on the little things, the tender, touch, the tender touches, the cards, the flowers, the, 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 the little things. He praises her. He encourages her. She feels no one is as important to her to him, to you as she is. Now, what could it look like practically? Well, and I realized Tina and I have been at these phases in our lives where we didn't have a lot of money, and so to do something special for one another took a lot of creativity. You ever been there? But it's that whole idea of demonstrating that she's important. And if, let's just say you want to take her out to eat. Taking her out to eat is a little more than going to McDonald's. Even worse, going through the drive-thru. Honey, what you want? <laughs> it may be a little more. I know barbecue's big around here. It may be a little more than going to one of the Bridges barbecues. Okay? It's, got, it's the whole idea of saying you're special. You're special. Now, let me show you how this can play out. The whole idea of cherish can go into these other needs. To have intimate conversation. <laughs> the whole idea of honesty and openness. How many of you men get all pumped up about when your wife says, honey, can we talk? How many of you are like, yes, we can. You come in here, you have a seat, we're going to talk. I know what happens to a lot of you men. Some of you are wide awake, and when she says that, you start feeling like, man, I got to go lay down or something. I don't know. <laughs> but she needs it. I've told you this before, because I think Tina does it, because I've said it from the pulpit before, but we'll be riding down in the car, driving. I always drive. I'm the, I'm the man of the house, but anyway. <laughs> I... Uh, no, I'm joking. Anyway, I'm driving, and, and, and Tina will be sitting there, and, 
And uh, I tell you, the iPad has really helped our marriage a lot because she'll, she'll get on there and start looking at stuff, and I can drive. I mean, I love to drive. I mean, I mean, a great day for me is a six-hour drive somewhere. Okay, I love to drive. And so we'll be sitting there, and, and I'm sitting there, and I love it when she flips over an iPad. I mean, she's going to be content to look at the iPad. But, and all of a sudden, you hear it shut, and she's sitting in there, and I'm like, here it comes. <laughs> and here's how she'll say it. What are you thinking about? <laughs> I'm thinking about passing that car right there in front of me. I'm going to try to go a little over the speed limit, not much, because the police officers have told me that if I go over this amount, I'm going to get in trouble. I wonder if I can get around them without breaking that particular number, thinking through it. So, so anyway, that's what she's asking for, open and honest communication, listening to her thoughts, how she feels. Talk about her day, your day. Talk with her, listen. Talk with her to understand her, not fix her. Women don't want to be fixed. I had, it took me years to figure that out. Well, she would lay it out to everything, and I'm sitting there, and she, she said this and said that, and I'm sitting there and saying, well, honey, here's what you need to do. <laughs> you know what she started doing when I used to, she'd just walk out of the room. That's not what she's after. She's after something else. What's me to be, it's that whole idea. Number two, to be protected and provided for. You need to, as men, to firmly shoulder the responsibility of protector and provider. Now, listen, I know we live in a modern age. I know those lines have been blurred. I know that it looks a little different in the new age that we live in. I remember going to school uh, to get my degrees and everything that I need to be a pastor and everything. And I'll be honest with you, Tina was the main provider to get us through that season in our life. But, but you know something, when it really came down to it, I knew that I had to, if something happened and something catastrophic, I needed to firmly be the one to be the protector and the provider in that situation. Next, to have a husband who puts her family first. She needs to know she is more important, uh, more, she is the most important person or thing in, a pers- in, in your life. I'm sorry, y'all got me sidetracked. Okay, now second of all is his needs. First of all, to be admired and respected. Isn't it amazing how Ephesians 5.33 pulls that out? It says, says, husbands, love your wives. Cherish your wife. But wives, doesn't say love, says what? Respect your husband. His greatest need. Just as the word love is difficult to define, so is respect. As far as understanding both, both are more easily demonstrated than defined. Here's what it is. Respect is a willingness to show honor, to show consideration, to show admiration. To demonstrate how important respect is to a man, a survey was done. And here's what the survey revealed. 75% of the men's survey said this. They had rather feel alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected. Think about that. That's a big choice they're making there. Most women cannot and will not understand this because love is secondary to respect in a man's life. When a man feels disrespected, he feels unloved. Just as women shut down emotionally when they do not feel cherished, men shut down emotionally when they do not feel respected. Now, let me say this. Here's what I believe about what the enemy's trying to do. When it comes to our marriages, how many of you think that Realize that the enemy is trying to take it down. Do you realize that? Do you know where he'll hit men the most that I found from my counseling and from my own experience? He'll hit men the most by causing them to do things that would cause them to lose respect in the eyes of those that they love. That's where the enemy seems to feature. Because here's what happens. If a man goes out there and blows it in certain areas, face it, they lose respect. What's their greatest need? respect. And so it's almost sometimes it's like men will cave and, and, and they, they, they totally, they totally give those around them that want to operate in the mode that God's called them to, to plan. But sometimes they, they do it in such a way that, that their family loses respect for them. So they sabotage their own greatest need. So men do things that people can respect, especially those closest to you. 
Number two, to be intimately fulfilled. Marital intimacy is a big deal for men. Many men surveyed said they cannot feel completely loved without physical intimacy from their wives. It's a big deal. Just as wounds appear in the marriage when wives are not cherished, the same is true for husbands who are not physically intimate with their wives. Now think of this. A wife's desire for her husband profoundly affects his sense of well-being and confidence in all other areas of his life. Here's a third one. To have a home that is a shelter from the world. Now this can actually go both ways because many women are working outside in the workforce and, and, and they have careers out there too. So guess what happens many times in marriage? Both of them want to come home to a place that can be a place of, of, of shelter and from, the, from the outside in that case. And that can create its own things. But it seems to be very important to men especially. Here's another one, to have a wife he finds attractive. Now, I'm not talking about the view or the unrealistic attraction the world has. Listen, what the world's putting out there and what it's trying to characterize as attraction is not even real. Do you realize that? Did you know the pictures, <laughs> this will blow your mind, the pictures that they take of women, okay, that the women themselves can't even live up to the picture that was taken of them? Did you know that? So, so you need to realize that the, the world's view of attraction is this perfection, and y'all, that's not out there. That's not out there. And so this whole idea, so, so however, here, here's what you need to realize. Men are visual creatures. God created men this way to appreciate his creation, especially the creation of his wife. Think about Adam's reaction in the garden. Eve's just been created. He, fell, he was asleep. He wakes up. And there she is. He never had the reaction that he had for Eve. He never had that for a hippopotamus. <laughs> I mean, he literally was excited. He saw her and it was like, wow. Ooh, I like this. That's exactly the expression it's there. Read it carefully. You'll see it. And the thing that we need to realize is men, that's the way they're wired. 70% of husbands surveyed said this. They would really struggle if their wife let herself go and did not seem to care about herself or her appearance. Number five, to have a life companion. There's a lot of men that sometimes they want their wife to be a buddy to them sometimes. And I'll take it from my own. There are certain things that Tina and I love to do. We like to go biking together. We like to do certain things together. We uh, like to travel together. Of course, the older we get, the more she's becoming more of a homebody. That's more of a challenge for me. But, <laughs> but, but we do. We enjoy those things. And, and, but, but here's what's interesting. Sometimes you want someone to do, you want a pal in your marriage. Now, there's a place I don't ever want her to show up, and that's on a golf course. I mean, I, I just... I want to do that with my bud, my real buddies, okay? I don't want her out there. <laughs> she can drive me around and be my caddy and everything. But anyway, don't, don't get out there because, well, anyway, it just doesn't work for us, okay? All right, here you go. Now, here's what you need to understand about these needs. Not all these are perfect. Not all, some men you go and say, here's the list. Do you agree with this? Some men would say, I don't know. I think I'd put this as a priority over this one or whatever. Let me say this. I'm giving you this information for you to discuss with one another. This is a homework assignment. I'm serious. It, it may not apply. It may not. It, some men may say, you know, honey, that's really not even on the radar for me. Wives, you may say, you know something? Yeah, he hit on something there, but here's where I, practically how I'd like to see it play out. Okay? Now, think about that. It's just talking points to help. One day, a couple came across a silver lamp they picked it up and rubbed it. A genie then appeared and offered to grant them each one wish. The wife said, we are 50 years old and have been married for, for 30 years. He's never taken me anywhere. I want to see the world. Poof, her hands were filled with cruise tickets. The man then said, I wish I had a woman who was 30 years younger than me. Poof, he was 80 years old. <laughs> One thing that stands in the way of a couple becoming one is their expectations of one another. 
Y'all, we've got to be careful with our expectations of one another because that can also cause harm, even when we're looking at these needs. So, so my intention to give you these is to help create talking points for you to talk through those things and talk it out. Here it is, becoming one through their differences. I'll hurry through this. Marriage, if you haven't figured it out, is composed of people who are alike in many ways but different in many ways. Did you know that? <laughs> and, and here's the first one. Commun- they communicate differently. Studies show that women tend to talk more. Now, this does not apply to Keith Creswell or Gary Marburger. Okay? Tend to. Okay? Tend to. Women, uh, let me say this. Research also finds that men and women stop and start communicating for different reasons. For different reasons. Women tend to communicate feelings to work through problems. That's the reason when some of, you, some of you men have a conversation with your wife, you're like, why are you so mad all the time? They're not really mad. They're just communicating. And again, these are tendencies. Men tend to communicate solutions to work through problems. Both can be beneficial. Both can be damaging. Women tend to communicate, and some of you may find this offensive, but it is a tendency, and it is true that I've seen play out. When women communicate, they, they're actually releasing something. Did you know that? So when you don't give your wife the opportunities to talk and talk things out and work through things, she does that through talking. Men have a tendency to just think it out. That's the reason some of you ladies become, it's like, what's going on with him? He's totally just shut down. He's thinking through it, okay, where you would talk it out. And so, therefore, the threat's doubled. Now, some men and women who I've talked to, I'll share this with them, and I'll say, you know something? We're the opposite of that. And that doesn't mean you're broke or anything, okay? It just means the opposites attract, and you just happen to choose the other way, okay? So, and we know that's true. Here's another one. Think differently. Women tend to multitask, thinking in broad terms. Men tend to compartmentalize thinking in separate terms. Now, here's the difference. Here's the way you know that's different. How many of you ladies have asked your husbands when they come home, did you think about me today? <laughs> Let's see. You know why? Because when we go to work, what do we do? We go to work. Boom, boom, boom. We compartmentalize. It's all contained right there. So when we come home, guess what? It's about you then. But don't ask me about over here because you might get your feelings hurt if I'm honest with you. But it, it doesn't mean that there's any lack. It's just, it's just the way we wired. And it become, can become a threat. It should become a threat. It's just the way we do. That's the reason women can multitask. How many of you men are blown away by how women can just juggle all the things they can juggle at one time? That just blows my mind. But us men, we're pretty simple. One thing at a time. Here's another one. To handle stress differently, women tend to deal with stress. I said tend with stress through closeness. Men tend to deal with stress through retreating. And this is exactly uh, many times how it plays out. Now, now here's, here's the reason you know this is pretty true. When's the last time you heard a man who was struggling asked to be held? Now, if you have, I'm sorry I offended you. But no, men retreat. They just kind of just leave me alone. Let me get with this. Relate differently. A man, a woman's self-worth tends to come through relationships. A man's self-worth tends to come through his accomplishments. These can all be, be struggles in a marriage. But we need to be aware of these things. Women relate through relationships while men relate through what they do. Most of the time, unless there's something a man, unless there's a problem a man wants to fix, and I gotta have some advice, I I need to ask my my buddy about something, they won't meet just to talk. Normally, they don't. Unless there's something they gotta have, I gotta get some insight on this. Help me fix this problem. However, men love to do things together go hunting, play golf, sports, whatever it may be. And so there is a, a little difference there. So here's the application. I gave you some talking points. This was really a good talking point. Some of you, when you leave here today, it's like, I knew we shouldn't have gone today. But anyway, here, here it is. How would you rate your marriage on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the best your marriage can be? If you really 
write a number down. Just see what happens. Okay? Now, here's what you need to realize. Every time I've ever given this, I think except for one time, and I do this, I do this in marriage. I kind of, it gives me a good feel where they think the marriage is. So sometimes I'll start with this question. <laughs> Invariably, almost every time the man will mark at least seven or eight, and the women are always two behind that. <laughs> no, it's really more like a six or a five. And, and it's true. And, and that's just what you'll see. Every time it's happened, but I think one time. What would it take for your marriage to be a 10? Can you see how this may help? Now I want to close with these thoughts. What does your marriage best resemble? A romantic cruise or a battleship? God has a plan for your marriage. Ecclesiastes 9 says this, Live joyful, joyfully with the wife whom you love. Proverbs 5 says this, Rejoice with the wife of your youth and always be enraptured with her love. Always have a passion for her. Boy, that's a good word. The two becoming one is a miracle. How many of you agree with that? It is a miracle that it can even resemble to take place. It's a miracle that work that takes work using the tools of selflessness, forgiveness, and guidance from the Lord himself. It's the only way it's going to work. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge that we've heard here from your word. And Lord, I know that in a, a room this size, that maybe there's someone here today that, that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior. And so when we talk about biblical principles or the, the, the things we've talked about today, that it doesn't ring a bell. It doesn't seem to, to, to be anything that they're familiar with. Father, I pray today will be the day that maybe they take a step towards you and the truths of your word to, to test these things, to see if they, they are what they seem to be. Father, I pray you'll draw them by your spirit. Father, if there's someone here today that believes this is their church home, you've called them to be a part of it. We pray for that also. But thirdly, Father, I pray for the marriages in our room. I pray for men to be what you called them to be, for women to be what you called them to be. Father, help us as we strive to be all that you called us to be, whether it's a husband or a wife. In Jesus' name, amen.